And while we have a through line that states authorial intent means dick. Right. I don't want to have to have the same haircut you have, Dad. Sorry, forgive me. Harry, motherfucking tub. <laughs> <laughs> He'll be crawling to something else. Yeah, yeah, yeah you know. JK, crawling to something So was was this before or after the poster and you vomiting all over the couch? <laughs> For those of you that can't see, Ed's eyes just crossed. That is fucked up. <laughs> but it's not wrong. And uh, I am nearly there, nearly there, having moved into our, our new home. We are getting close to actually having an office uh, actually up and running this weekend. We're going to be putting in the flooring. And uh, once that's done, I'll be able to move my desk in. And I will actually have a place to do my hobby shit, which I have not had since before my son was born. <laughs> So uh, right now I am I am ridiculously excited about that, um, and and then shortly after that, uh, at the same time I get my desk out of storage, I'll be getting my barbecue grill out of storage, which is a very big deal because similarly I have not been able to do any any grilling since before my son was born. So yeah, I'm I'm excited about these developments in my life. Uh, who are you, and what do you have going on? Well, I'm Damien Harmony. I'm a Latin teacher and a drama teacher up here in Northern California. Uh, I'm actually very excited for your grill coming out because then I can eat barbecue again. Um, as this is as true. has been said, I hate barbecuing. I don't mind eating the fruit of other people's labors. That's uh, true. We, I, I like cooking indoors. I don't see why I should go stand over fire. So because uh, fire good. Yeah, no, you can you Fire can do that. Good. I'll I'll be inside. You know what I'll do, uh, and and uh, our guests can see this. Um, I will be in there with a can of paint, uh, several cans of paint, um, taking care of the plaid pattern that your ceiling absolutely is begging to have. So just tell me what clan colors you want. Just um, no, and I will. Okay, gladly... okay. Clan colors. That's clan colors. exactly yeah. what I thought. Snow bear. Snow bear. All right, cool. Clan snow bear. Wait a minute. Wait, hold on a second. Wait, that's. What? I'm just trying to think of the colors for that. Isn't that all just white? <laughs> Damn it. Hung up by my own Merrick Petards. Uh -huh. All right. And now we heard another voice and uh, the, the codependent in me, the recovering codependent, always has this fear. Uh, so when I shut the thing down so it records everything, um, I send the, the link to the person to make sure that they, they come back. And then because it takes longer than 
five seconds, I think, oh, God, did we scare them off? So and we didn't. So the codependent in me doesn't have to go back to therapy tomorrow. I can still go for coffee instead. Uh, but with us, just like last week, uh, is uh, Dr. Gabriel Cruz from North Carolina. Sir, how are you tonight? I'm doing good. And I'm excited to be back. Last time was a lot of fun. And okay. um, yeah, so I'm a communication studies uh, professor. I teach at the uh, university level at the University of North Carolina at Greensboro in the communication studies department. Um, my PhD is in media and communication. I study superhero narratives through the lens of uh, uh, critical race scholarship, as well as uh, gender and class. And I also study white nationalist organizations, which is why just now I was laughing because, uh, Damien, oh. when you said clan, my uh. brain went to K. Right. And then you're and, in North Carolina, too. Yeah. And, right. Well, yeah. you know, I, I am without telling too much away. I live relatively close to one of the few clan meeting spots that's still active. Um, okay. And then when Ed said snow bear, I thought clan white coloring. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. Battletech. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Battletech. <laughs> Battletech. Hey, they, were, they were oh. an analogy. They were an analogy for the Soviet Union. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Oh, no, 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 no. Um, that's great. That's I'm going okay. to do things. <laughs> okay. I okay. love that this happened because I can just imagine like, oh, you poor man. Like it took you a whole episode to like for us to show our true colors for a second there. <laughs> and then you're like, no, they couldn't have like that's, these yeah. guys are too nice. But yeah, no. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what have I got myself? No, into? no. Um, <laughs> yes. No, a tartan yeah. makes sense. Tartan, uh, tartan yeah. pattern. <laughs> So, but yeah, so, uh, so yeah, so that's, that's what I do. And, um, I, uh, yeah, I read comics and watch Netflix and write about it and go to conferences and that kind of thing. Currently working on a paper on the Punisher with some friends of mine. Um, so yeah. And I guess that's what we're here to talk about, right? Is the Punisher. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I have, uh, 13 other pages on, uh, Obama's presidency and the rise of hate groups, but I'm just going to hand wave him past that. Uh, when Obama became president, uh, a whole lot more hate groups started up um, and you had an increase of uh, awareness, not because Obama was president, but because the iPhone was getting really good at recording videos. Uh, so you had an increased awareness and an, a uh, you can't hide from it kind of uh, there's I'm sure there's a better word than that. Um, ubiquity. It, yeah. Yeah. There became like a ubiquity of like, hey. Police brutality is a real thing here, folks. Yeah. Um, and it became more and more undeniable. Uh, and uh, that happened at the same time as um, LESO, the Law Enforcement uh, Support Office, uh, got going. It was the 1033 initiative under the Reagan administration, um, which started this huge uh, uptick in police militarization. Um, the Department of Defense legally was required to make it available their excess military equipment for all police departments. And under the first Bush presidency, it was expanded, shock of shock, so long as the equipment was used uh, by drug enforcement uh, departments. Because you remember, George H.W. Bush was able to buy crack. Um, under Clinton, it was expanded again because, of course, a good liberal is going to militarize things more. Uh, and it was expanded to include counterterrorism. Uh, and the military could transfer, quote, property, including small arms and ammunition suitable for use by agencies in law enforcement activities, including counter drug and counterterrorism activities. OK, hold on. I want to sure. just in, in, in the process of talking yeah, about militarization yeah. of the police, because this is this is as a Second Amendment guy. This is one of my pet peeves. Sure. Um, 
when when was the first time that you can remember as a private citizen i'm going to ask both of you when was the first time you can remember as a private citizen just going about your daily life seeing a police officer with a military grade weapon either on their person or or like because the the thing the thing that i most clearly remember mm-hmm. was it was sometime around about 2000 Mm -hmm. seeing a chp motorcycle go by with a with 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 an ar-15 a police cut down ar-15 carbine on the back of the bike's saddle Hmm. like as a no no this this is this is motorcycle cop and here is his military grade rifle and that's our state trooper yeah and that's and it's a state trooper just like going down the road, giving people speeding tickets and he's got a fucking M4. Well, okay. No, sorry. As a gun nut, I got to be specific. It's not actually an M4, but it's a law enforcement equivalent of a goddamn M4. So when, when do you remember seeing anything like that or noticing that? Gabriel, you want to? So I'm trying to think Um, most of the law enforcement I've grown up around I haven't observed that, but I will say, I know that from the early time that I was seeing like depictions of police in the news where they were carrying, you know, those kind of long rifles mm-hmm. was probably the early 2000s. Mind you, um, I was barely politically cognizant at the time, but okay. I remember not being startled by it which is a weird response Mm -hmm. um because again in my day-to-day most of the cops i know or i've been around you know carried you know sidearms shotguns that kind of thing but um i remember i think i was pretty desensitized early on in my youth um Mm -hmm. with the idea of cops carrying those kind of rifles yeah yeah i'm trying to think i i remember seeing a documentary on palestine and seeing israeli cops uh and it was it was explained to me that they were cops not the army uh but israeli cops carrying that and wearing camouflage and i was like that's that's a weird blend yeah um and i remember that was uh let's see it was a documentary that i saw i had to have been in a little after 2000 um and and then i don't remember the first time i saw cops i don't remember when i first saw uh one of our police officers carrying a assault rifle or they're they're an equivalent um but i do remember thinking when did we start doing that Mm -hmm. so just kind of assuming that that i'd missed something um yeah yeah well so yeah um i i think gabriel what you said about being desensitized to it i think is is part of the narrative that we're that we're getting at here talking about the character of the punisher within the zitgeist because that is a reflection of, I think, a rising level of, I don't necessarily want to say a rising level of violence, but the extreme end of the violence that we've gotten used to seeing on the news in our own society. I think the, the upper edge of the intensity of that has turned into a thing. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember what year it was, but there was the, there's the very famous uh, uh, bank robbery in L.A., Oh, that's right. Where the where the where the the perpetrators were wearing, you know, military. They'd gotten a hold of military grade body armor, and they had AK forty sevens. 
And ultimately, the police actually had to commandeer weapons from a gun store down the street in order to take these guys down because mm-hmm. they they stood in the middle of the street with automatic weapons, just yep. just you know, gunning police officers down. And that was used as the rationalization, right, for upgunning law enforcement. Well, like, was, well, you know, we don't we don't know where we're going to sure, run yeah. into this. We got to we got to carry right. we got to we got to be carrying you know a real rifle that'll be able to punch through a vest like that. Never mind the fact that, by the way, speaking as a gun nut who knows something about this, a two twenty three isn't generally going to do that unless you're using military grade ammunition. But mm-hmm. that's beside the point. Well, that was the North Hollywood you know, shootout, right? Yes. Okay, that was ninety seven. Which yeah actually goes a long way in explaining why between 1997 and 2014 over 5.1 billion dollars in military hardware was transferred from the dod to local american law enforcement agencies uh and Uh, i would be more concerned about that kind of money being spent if we weren't already taking excellent care of our children and our education system so i'm yeah you know yeah that's a good point and i think that's why we're all okay with it as a society (laughs) is that we're like well okay this is the price of all of this wonderful healthcare that we've got and yeah we've succeeded in turning all the public schools into secular cathedrals so now now we need to arm them so that's good yeah uh so uh also uh 449 million dollars was transferred in 2013 alone uh about (laughs) a third of it was just new um, now, most of it fairly is warm gear, ammunition, emergency supplies, but it also includes tactical armored vehicles, weapons, watercraft, and aircraft. Um, now, this this cuts two ways. One, it's a really good way to take the, the local budgetary pressure off of law enforcement. Some would argue that that's a good thing. I would say it's not because now you're taking local budgetary control away via budgetary pressure. <laughs> Um, and there's uh, about 8,000 local law enforcement agencies that participate in the reutilization program. Uh, that also includes more than 20 different school districts. School districts yeah. have police forces. Oh, yeah. Uh, and you will be paying your lunch debt. Um, yep. Yeah. Uh, shockingly, 10 school police departments in Texas also participated. Um, they acquired- I'm stunned. <laughs> They acquired 25 automatic pistols, 64 M16 assault rifles, 18 M14 battle rifles, and 15 vehicles and tactical vests. In Texas, ed, you say? Uh, I'm Texas, shocked. Oh, I know. I know. Uh, 117 different colleges and universities participate, up to and including UC Davis uh, out here. Uh, so you've got a lot of this now my favorite part of that is for security reasons the 1033 program's record information is not subject to public review at all so, nope. because most and also most of the records up to about three quarters of them on who got what and what condition are messy and wholly inaccurate anyway so then you get to the post 9-11 world about all this. Uh, and uh, there's a, a gentleman named Stanley Balco, uh, who's a columnist for the Washington Post. And he studied this in depth. And he said, quote, there hasn't been a lot of scrutiny about whether the places that are receiving this equipment are actually terror threats, he said. So you see them going to places like Fond du Lac, Wisconsin, and little cities in Idaho, which has me worried right away, uh, Ohio, and in <laughs> towns in the suburbs. Um. So, of course, it turns out that uh, officers now use the equivalent, the equipment for everyday policing, uh, which desensitizes us to 
the mm-hmm. upper end of the threshold of violence, like you were saying. Uh, so this reminds me a lot of the Fast and Furious operation by the Bush and then Obama administrations. Mm-hmm. Like that's, I would, you, I yeah, yeah. <sighs> if you give me a toy, I'm gonna play with it. Well, you know, and and, and we'll and just here's... lose track of like however many toys that we give out. Oh my god, yeah, because yeah, right. the military is gonna give us more. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like because because I mean we're never going to stop funding the army, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so what 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 I I feel needs to be interjected in into this conversation is the fact that you talk about these things being sent to you know little towns in Ohio and Fond du Lac, mm-hmm. you know, in the middle of the country, where like, are we really sure? there's a terror threat here no no there isn't a terror threat here but what there is is a sheriff up for re-election or a police chief who wants to try to make the boys in the local police union happy mm-hmm. or the captain of the county SWAT team looking real hard at you YOLO mm-hmm. county that the county is, I live in yeah um, who who is like well wait a minute you, you you mean to tell me that like I can just submit a form mm-hmm. and you'll send me a tank? Well, okay, it's not a tank, it's a bomb resistant vehicle, but but like it's it's big and goes vroom vroom and has a gun turret on top. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, it's kind of a tank. Gimme! Like, I mean, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, like even even how 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 do you not like when you create a program like that, how do you not see that there's uh-huh. going to be? That's how uh, you not see. Nice. How, uh. how do you? How do you? How do you fail to realize that like every every insufficient personality who's been drawn into law enforcement because they want to push people around is is going to look at this as like candy store time because they get to walk around with gunmetal genitalia mm-hmm. bigger than the ones they'd normally be able to budget for mm-hmm. like this the, so much of this ties into everything we've said on the show before about toxic masculinity hello frank miller and like you know all of that no hey, what were you, gonna say to you know, it's interesting. None of that money got allocated for boots yeah. <laughs> because the field could never draw no feet. feet. There's no feet. Feet are the hands of the legs and they are very hard to draw. <laughs> it's true to draw, to draw them. is no small yeah. feet. Uh, don't. Okay. I feel complicit <laughs> in that and I don't like it. Um, Welcome to my life on this podcast. <laughs> No, I, I think, you know, the thing of it is, is like, does a small town in rural America need the kind of like armored vehicle that can withstand an IED? No, but it looks sweet as hell in the local Christmas parade. All right. Yeah. And I feel like we can't <laughs> undervalue that. <laughs> True. Santa yeah. needs a, a, yeah. a, a, an armored vehicle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, those house elf revolutionaries, dude. Well, anytime yeah. those elves try to unionize. That's, oh, that's, mm. that's the truth. Yeah, I, I, are you I feel like, I feel like if uh, the folks at uh, Blair Mountain, at the Battle of Blair Mountain in like the 1940s had access to a, if the, if the coal miners had access to like a technical with some kind of uh, weapon attached to the back of it, we would be living in a very different world. We would. We totally oh. would. 
I, I kind of want to write that counter history now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, if only. Oh man, how is it that all the like dystopian future guys? I'm looking at you, Frank Miller. Uh, or or no, who am I? I mixed him up again, didn't I? Alan Moore. Thank Alan you. Moore. I don't know how I mix these three guys up. It's Alan Moore, Frank Miller, and Mark Miller. Okay, I can understand mixing up Mark and Frank Miller, but. But I Alan mixed up Moore, those three guys. Like, I don't know. Not even coming yeah. from the same same I know. part of the political ballpark. I'm not saying it's like, okay not even that in I do the it. same league. I don't think they're playing the same sport. And but... he looks like a fucking wizard. <laughs> I know. It's, there's no good reason. This, you know what? This is the author version of uh, Sconced Muffin. Yes, this is, so, okay. Fair. Gabriel's short version of this. Sconced Muffin <laughs> is. Uh, I went to a coffee shop and asked for a sconced muffin because I'd had one the day before. I had not had a sconced muffin because such things do not exist. I was sure that such a thing existed. I held up the line. I was that asshole and arguing with people about their inventory. And I was very reasonable in my arguments because I was like, look, if you ran out, that's okay. Just tell me. But I, I know what I ate yesterday. And they finally like, what are you describing? Because they kept asking scone. And I started getting mad. I'm like, was there a fucking run on scones? Um, and so I explained, I'm like, it's got the crystallized sugar on top. And, and she's like, what? I said, yeah, sconce muffin. She said, sir, a sconce is where you put a torch in a wall. And then all my D and D memories came back. And I was like, oh, right. What was I asking? She's like, I don't know what, what I said, the crystallized sugar. And she's like, that's all our muffins. That's what we do. And I was like, oh. so, but in my head, as clear as, as my, my red hair is turning gray, um, a sconce muffin existed. And it's the same thing with Alan Moore, um, mm-hmm. Mark Miller, Frank and, Miller, and Frank Miller. Uh, uh, I mix all three up. The The best way I, I try to remember it is that Alan Moore looks like if Gandalf started doing acid to just wean himself off of the meth. That's. <laughs> oh, I love it. You know, oh. he, he is the sixth Istari and he just has he can't stop tripping that's where you get all these stories from that makes yeah. sense he just asked Radagast for the, the best mushrooms yeah and, uh, just sat down yeah. yeah I like it he doesn't have a color yeah. he's just the deranged that's, <laughs> yeah. I kind of want the tie-dye wizard though to be honest you know wavy yeah. gravy mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> so but it's weird I don't mix up Roger more with any of them so um, you'd think I might, but no. Uh, <laughs> Rand Paul was even on the right side on this one. He said, quote, the U.S. government has incentivized the militarization of local police precincts and helped municipal governments build what are essentially small armies. And he wasn't saying it like it was a good thing. Um, I, I find this, this next bit that I found very interesting. North Carolina officials. Oh, no. A state that 3,303 out of the 4,227 pieces of equipment obtained through their program are tactical items, including automatic weapons and military vehicles, which is even more alarming when I tell you that North Carolina was suspended from this program by the federal government for failing to account for the equipment that they received, a program for which three quarters of the paperwork is wrong, a program for which the GAO the government accountability office said in 2005 said there's no sufficient oversight program for this. Even with all of that, North Carolina got put on the no, no list. I just, I just want to point out real quick that my institution, which I went to and did my undergrad and master's at 
is a part of the UNC state system. Mm -hmm. And when, uh, at least when I was an undergrad, and I think for many years afterwards, they didn't have phones in the department for anyone other than the office administrator. Like none of the faculty had phones in their offices because they were budget cuts. So, yeah. I mean, it sounds like a blessing in disguise, to be honest, but like at the same time. <laughs> But at the same time, like, <laughs> good heavens! Yeah. If the yeah. What, if if the if the choice is between, I don't know, having a phone in my office and having a state issued like thirty eight, mm-hmm. it is a bit of a toss up. But I would err on the side of a phone. Yeah, I, I think there's going to be more general utility for having a telephone. I don't know. We had a Secretary of State worried about grizzly bears for y'all. So That's- Secretary of Ed. So, yeah, Secretary of Ed, thank God, yeah. not Secretary of State. I never <laughs> thought I'd say that about Betsy DeVos, but no, no. Oh, Lordy. No, 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 no. Don't, don't put that woman any, no, not anywhere near diplomacy. No, please. No. What is it? No. Be, because her brother is, uh, uh, is Eric Prince, a mercenary either? crime lord? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> is that, is that a problem? That... Uh, because don't, Eric... don't, don't sugarcoat it, Gabriel. Tell us, yeah, because tell us. Eric... Because Eric Be Prince wants to pretend like the world is his DD campaign and he's a shitty character. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> he's like, I got to the ninth level of fighter. I'm starting my own uh, keep or hold or whatever the hell it's called. I'm going to take a few levels in Artificer and try to make my own Air Force. No, you yeah. can't do that. No. That's not a thing. And show me where it says one. in the rules. On the goddamn one. DM, I say it's not. <laughs> For fuck's sake. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad that we can laugh about this. <laughs> well uh, okay the only i hope the we only... have cells next to each other that's all I'm yeah <laughs> we can the, the, for only, warmth. the only other option is to start crying and never stop so you know mm-hmm. yes. like... why you're drinking uh, mm. so and that brings us to ferguson um which was a wonderful Jesus. time for americans to come together um and stand up and do the right thing unfortunately that's not what happened and mm. the, the the military i'm sorry the police uh, tear gas the shit out of people. I've got three pages just on Ferguson and how the police escalated at every oh. step. I'm not going to. Yeah, it. I don't. Does, I don't think we need yeah. to. Does any of it include yeah. the fact that Ferguson Police Department was founded as a slave catching organization? And uh, that, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yep. and that they um, still used uh, uh, dog uh, dog bite mark tactics on children. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah, and and that <sighs> they literally had a dog piss on the the memorial of where michael brown was killed yeah that too like it, it's it's oh yeah oh the police the police did all the things you could do to turn a peaceful protest into people wanting to burn shit down everything mm-hmm. they they drove their police cruisers over the memorial oh yeah no i purpose. knew i, I, I knew yeah. about that the the a canine cop brought his dog over to pee on it prior to that you know here's the thing this this just goes to prove that like reality is unrealistic yeah we say because 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 like if 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 i were to write a Star Wars story in which, like, the Empire did shit like that to try to provoke the the, the the New Republic or the Rebels or whatever. Like, 
like Disney would look at me and go, no, that's that's yeah, too on That's not nobody. That's not realistic. Yeah. Wouldn't do that. Yeah. For fuck's sake, cheap. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, I just, I hadn't fine. heard that detail. And it, like, it would be oh, like Jesus. if uh, novice, you know, uh, pilots in the Empire took trips out of their way to Dagobah just to piss on Yoda's hut. Like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. like yeah. really? It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's, it's not good. Uh, Claire McCaskill, then senator, shockingly, no longer. Uh, partly because she said that quote militarization of the police escalated the protesters' response. She was senator from Duh. yeah Missouri. Uh, so yeah, uh, and and I've got more stuff into yeah. uh, in, in into that. But um, what's interesting is that uh, it really brought to the fore um, a a movement that had already started in 2013, the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, and then in December, there were two police officers. December of 2014. So this is after Ferguson. This is after Tamir Rice. Uh, this is after a lot of black people kept getting killed by police in very short order. And again, we have video of it. Uh, we have social media for it. it. It got the word out. The amount of undeniable police brutality and the amount of provable that it's not a UFO um, seems to be commensurate with each other because you have smartphones. So, but... Um, the Black Lives Matter, like I said, they existed uh, since 2013. Uh, Labor Day of 2014, they got people moving in Missouri specifically to register to vote, um, to change what was happening at the polls. They are going to the ballot box. These are people who are protesting, saying that their lives matter and they are engaging in the democratic process. Um, and then right-wing media spheres responded uh, to all of this activism by saying that they were inciting violence while pretending to protest. I mean, it's 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 Michigan senators in 1941 saying the fact that the Japanese haven't done anything in America is proof that they're going to, you know, it's that kind of shit. Yeah, I use um, they called us enemy. Yes. If you guys are familiar in, in yeah. my propaganda class and I taught it one mm -hmm. time to a student, I had a student in there who was determined to be a part of law enforcement and she wanted to work for the federal government and uh, she, we read this and she's like, and it ends with, you know, the comparison between the Japanese internment and the detainment on the Mexican border at the time. Yep. And uh, she goes, how do I work for the government when I know this is the kind of thing I could be asked to do? I said, I don't know, kid, you got to work that out. Like <laughs> my job is not to provide answers only to really provide really uncomfortable questions. And yeah. this is one you have to deal with. So yeah. Yeah. this is why you can't work in Oklahoma. So All Lives Matter got started as a reaction to this. Uh, <sighs> and then in 2014, uh, December 2014, two police officers in New York were murdered while sitting in their cruiser, which then led to the Blue Lives Matter group, uh, which was seeking to make it a hate crime to kill police officers. Louisiana actually passed a law to this effect. Um, which kind of goes against the reasoning behind the normal protections that are highlighted by hate crime legislation that is being oh, BIPOC, you know. AAPI, LGBTQ is not the same as going to an academy to learn how to be a police officer for money. Well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to push back a little bit here oh, sure. uh, because, you know, I mean, it's not like there's any other kind of protection under the law for agents of the law who, you know, face this. I mean, it's not like anybody shooting a cop faces 
uh, you know, additional penalties for having shot right. a cop under normal circumstances or, or that that's considered an, an aggravating factor in a homicide that might lead to the death penalty. Wait, wait, no, no, I got that backwards. Sorry. Carry on. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. No, it's bullshit. Sorry. It's awful. It's, it's absolute awful. fucking yeah. garbage. Yeah. But that gets us to uh, the mid 20 teens when a certain TV show comes out on Netflix. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if I if I may interject just one more thing. Oh, please do. Um, circa 2014. Mm-hmm. Our uh, old boy, uh, Chris Kyle. Right. Hmm. Yeah. With American Sniper, um, yep. which may or may not have been based on actual events. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. And he talks about this thing of, uh, you know, them spray painting the Punisher's logo on all their stuff. And mm-hmm. I think there's a quote from him where he says, you know, the Punisher lets people know we're here to fuck with you. I think that's his actual yep. language he uses. Right. We want to fuck with you. That's right. Right. And so uh, and look, I'm all for I remember reading about, you know, the military using um, the tactics of like blasting. Uh, Metallica and other heavy metal songs um, in order to agitate insurgents. And I have very mixed feelings about the occupation and our involvement overseas, but that seems like a reasonably benign tactic. Mm-hmm. Painting a skull on U.S. military equipment so that everyone knows that's what you're about, especially when you're trying to, like, when you rely on the help of the locals, maybe not the best move. Maybe not a great uh, plan. Fritz, maybe not. Fritz, are we the baddies? Are we, are we, <laughs> Like they've already, the CIA has already instilled distrust by lying about vaccinations uh, mm-hmm. in an attempt to catch like Bin Laden and other insurgents. What if we, what if we just didn't do things that overtly, whatever? Anyway, yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe if we didn't use language describing our presence there as being part of a crusade, Listen. maybe. Wait, so Maybe I'm, let's I'm avoid that. So yes. having crusades and a death's head skull on on your shit is is I'm gonna not I'm winning gonna, hearts and minds. I no. think he meant to say croissants. Oh, that he oh, was. Yeah. Hey, yeah, yeah. You know, we're, we're yeah. on a yeah. holy <laughs> croissant, <laughs> which is also just gonna point out mm-hmm. um, a was a oh. pastry intended to be, uh, uh, according to apocryphally anyway, intended to be offensive to the uh, Muslim besiegers of Vienna because it's the shape of a crescent and Fuck. and you eat it. <laughs> God damn it. Can't we have any anything? No, no, we can't. No. No, we can't. Like I tell my students, everything you love is terrible and is making you a worse person. <laughs> yes, these are facts. Um, yeah. Wow, that's that's you know it's funny that uh, you mentioned the Chris Kyle thing. Number one, it's the very next paragraph, so I'm so <laughs> glad that I tagged out for you for that. But also, um, Sean Hannity went on his show wearing mm. a skull pin because, of course, he did. Um, as a wait. as a former altar boy and mm. dealing with all the stigmas of being a former altar boy, I feel like Sean Hannity is really just making our lives much harder than it needs to be. <laughs> Because he is one. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah. Jerry Conway actually uh, was so bothered by Chris Kyle's uh, love of the Punisher. He said, quote, I don't think he understood the fundamental truth that the Punisher is not a man to admire or emulate. Like, mm-hmm. Jerry Conway. Pretty straightforward point. Goes back to the thing about, you know, Archie Goodwin's quote about he is the solution that is worse than the problem that created him. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. He, he is yeah. in. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so uh, Josh Barenthal, right? TV series, 
talked to a Comic Con in 2015, if I recall, saying I'm going to do a good job with it. Right? Yep. John Bernthal. Yep. Yep. Take it away. This is this is your oh, yeah. So, so yeah. Uh, and, and what's interesting about that original release was it uh, the original um, Comic Con uh, appearance was timed to unfortunately be like immediately after the Las Vegas shooting. Oh, and oh, so shit. they they bumped it back because I once that happened that. they were like yeah. "Ooh, this ain't a good look we can't be doing this right, right. Yeah. so of course they go that route they bump it back i think to like the next comic-con and you know they're a few months apart that kind of thing and so they they do this this thing and um and there's you can actually find online um uh their pictures they're not a detailed list but the pictures of like what comics um he was pulling from when he was reading this character or when mm-hmm. he was trying to figure out how to be frank castle and this is obviously an updated version of the character. Oh, just as a side note, going back to the Jerry Conway thing, because yeah. he did, he was so bothered by the use of police, uh, by the police using the Punisher logo, mm-hmm. right? That he did the Skulls for Justice uh, campaign, which is where he commissioned, right. um, for those that don't know, he, he commissioned artists of color and really anyone, but especially artists of color to create like Black Lives Matter logos that involve the Punisher skull. And I actually have one. Um, Oh, cool. It's great. I, I can't wear it to my kid's daycare for obvious reasons. <laughs> yeah. Not, not the BLM. It's the skull mostly. They're like, well, how's this man? Who is he? Um, and especially when you have to wear a mask, it's not. Yeah. Know, it's not, yeah. A, not a great look. Yeah. It's not. Um, yeah. But, uh, but I, anyway, so, but it was a fundraiser, right? To mm-hmm. help support like uh, the LA chapter of Black Lives Matter and some other yeah, stuff. Yeah. I remember he raised money for BLM specifically. Yeah. Mm hmm. Um, but yeah, so fast forward to Bernthal doing um, The Punisher, mm-hmm. which I think is a great, is my favorite adaptation of The Punisher. I liked Thomas Jane's version until I read the comics. Um, okay. And, I, you know, not knocking Thomas Jane because I like him a lot, but that wasn't Frank Castle. That was like Fred Rook. Um, right. And so. <laughs> well, Thomas Jane had come from writing all of those technical manuals for airplanes. So, I mean, it was. Right. No, because he he couldn't get enough of it. It was like his addiction to writing. There's a joke here, and I don't understand it. I'm gonna make well, it. The, the it. second one was Jane's addiction, and, right. and okay. the first one is Jane's aircraft uh, identification guides, which which gotcha. I'm surprised Damien knows about because I only know about him because I was raised by a naval aviator, and my dad had him all over the fucking house. So they're like, like Shelton's for airplanes. Like, like how, how niche do you have to fucking be? Like, I feel bad about I, not catching the Jane's addiction one, but the other one I'm fine with. Yeah. 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 Don't, don't feel. Yeah. The, yeah. The other one, I, I feel like that was targeted at me. Like, how do you, that's, yeah, that's, that's what you call an art. Go with it. That's what you call an artisanal pun. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it's it's only it's only a uh, a swap pun if it's from the the western valley region of france otherwise it's simply a uh, sparkling pun sparkling play on words yes there you go yeah okay, i'll clean that i'll clean that up in post-production so i sound there really go, smart. yeah okay good yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but yeah so uh anyway what what's you know, so the character debuts in the second season of Daredevil, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, it's what's interesting about this version of, of Castle is that I like to describe Castle as being a bad man who does bad things to bad people and he knows it about himself. Mm-hmm. What I find really compelling about the character is, and you always have to be careful about anyone who says that the Punisher is one of their favorite characters. Like, it's like, 
It's like they say they like Rorschach, right? From the watch. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's a good comparison. It's that's like, unfortunately. Okay. Yeah. It's like, okay, that's part A. There needs to be a very good part B to that, uh, to that <laughs> yeah. question. Right. Uh, so why do you like this character? And one reason <laughs> I like him is because Castle, I feel like at his best understands that he is a deeply flawed person. And that he, what he does may or may not have any actual impact in the world, but at least in the here and now, it does something. Um, because that's a very flawed perspective and really uh, it gives him a sense of absolution in terms of what the long-term implications of his actions are. Uh, and so that I think makes for a compelling story. Um, so he's, I, he's, he's a uh, really hyper-violent version of the Starfish story. Starfish story. The kid running along the uh, the beach, all the starfish are. So yeah, I I can kill this criminal. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So he's. Yeah, it's it's, yeah. it's like the dark mirror it's of the really, starfish story. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm There's... really uncomfortable about this. <laughs> <laughs> there's a um. There's a comic of uh, it's Cosmic Ghost Rider, um, okay. which is amazing. Um, and it's it's so Frank Castle becomes the Ghost Rider, and he works for. Galactus, yeah. as yeah, as you do, uh, he works for Galactus. Uh, Galactus gives him the power cosmic that the Silver Surfer has, right? Sure. And then at some point, like uh, Castle just kind of screws off and does his own thing and goes back in time and he accidentally rewrites the Marvel Universe. Now, this is after he's tried to raise Thanos to be a good guy instead of a bad guy, and that didn't work out, so he just scraps the whole plan. Anyway, this is all getting convoluted, but there's a there's two great moments in this. Mm -hmm. The First is that he lives his way. He lives through the Marvel history of the comics up until he gets to his present day, right? Mm -hmm. And so he has this conversation. Uh, he finds Castle like a couple days before his family's murdered, as is his canonical origin story, right? His family's the victim of, of a mob hit uh, and he survives. So he finds him a few days before and has like the sit down conversation with him. It, I say sit down, they beat each other half to death until eventually <laughs> they were even so, you know, evenly matched that like, okay, let's cool it here sure. because future Frank is trying to tell past Frank you're not good at this and you need to be. And I'm going to try to help things from getting too bad. Not uh, just not saying what's about to happen, but you know, implying. Mm -hmm. So if I'm going to rewrite history, you need to be a good dad and a good husband um, because you're not, and it ain't in you at this point. Oh, wow. And so I really appreciate that kind of reflexivity. Um, the other great moment in that comic is when it actually gets to the point where Castle's family is about to be executed and, uh, spoilers, it happens. The continuity has to be maintained, but Castle, future Castle is about to, to stop it. And mm -hmm. Uatu the Watcher, who people may know from the, the, you know, series, what if, uh, Uatu shows up and pulls a gun on him. <laughs> <laughs> he just pulls like a Smith and Wesson revolver out of somewhere and says, no, Frank, you've been screwing with timeline too much. I cannot let you do this. <laughs> That's so awesome. Oh my God. I love the idea of, of Uatu resorting to a 38 special. Right. 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 Like, right. like, like okay. He's so, just, so he's I'm, standing I'm, there larger than life in central park and just has a gun drawn on like, no, <laughs> Not this time. That's like, that, that's more ridiculous than Throg. Like, 
Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. You know, it is. <laughs> That's it hysterical. Is. It's, it's great. It's great. Oh, it's it, well, so and good. especially because at that point, like he's done things like intervened with the Fantastic Four. He turned out to be like one of the members on the ship. And the reason they got powers, like he's at all these pivotal moments throughout uh, Marvel history. <laughs> and the watch is like, no, 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 not this time. <laughs> so uh anyway but that's that's why that's one of the reasons i find castle kind of interesting and and that sort of dovetails Mm -hmm. that conversation he has with himself is mirrored in some regard in season one of the Mm -hmm. punisher where he says to micro and i'm paraphrasing but he says uh you know there were days when i was more comfortable waist deep in in like mud and shit than i was being with my own family and that's something i have to learn how to deal with right yeah. And one of the things that's so interesting about that show is that it's been very, it's been highly regarded and highly praised for its depiction of PTSD mm-hmm. uh, in large part because they had veteran consultants and people who were experienced with it and medical professionals who were informing how that character was written. And that's also interesting because when you see that character depicted, um, he, the violence almost seems like a compulsion. Mm-hmm. Like it's, there's an interesting moment where you can see him get agitated at things mm-hmm. where it's not a choice. He's not a cool, level-headed, methodical killer. I mean, he is those things, but in that moment, he is clearly operating from a place of stress. Mm-hmm. And that is, I think, a really valuable representation of of how the idea of the action hero is deeply flawed. Because you think about any of the action heroes we like. I love a good, I love a Jason Statham movie, right? Sure. Um I don't imagine that any of his characters were like good parents or, or a good husband or right. anything like yeah. that, right? Or a functional uh, human being. Yeah, really. Like, yeah. Uh, Clint Eastwood in Dirty Harry ain't exactly picking his kid up from daycare. No. You know? No. No. I mean, shit, no. Clint Eastwood in uh, El Camino was, was it El Camino? El Torino? Yeah. El, uh, yeah. Uh, Gran Torino. Gran, Gran, Gran Torino. Torino. Gran Torino. I got there eventually, uh, but Clint Eastwood, I don't know cars. Uh, Clint Eastwood in that, like literally had a shitty relationship with his family. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like that was yeah. part of his character and mm-hmm. you know, yeah, it's, yeah. it's, yeah, it, it's, it's, there was a thing from uh, the precursor to Boston legal, the practice. Um, and one of the main characters at the time, he said, uh, you know, all of us in this firm and he starts listing all the problems that they all have in their relationships. And he says, we are not balanced people. That's why we're really good lawyers. You know, that always stuck with me of like, you can't have both. Like Matt Murdoch mm-hmm. perpetually didn't have both. Yeah. You no. Know? And, yeah. and I, I can't think of a, a single superhero. Now that I think about it, I can't think of a single superhero who, who has a complete life at home. Most of them really struggle with it. I will say yeah. Luke Cage does pretty decent from time to time. His marriage with Jessica Jones. Um, yeah, but he comes to that later in life. Like he, he does. He's after that's after that's like me dating in my 40s. Like it's you know, it's it's like, mm-hmm. oh, I've met a complete person and I'm a complete person yeah. standing on our own. Let's walk together. Yeah, that's a good point. My yeah. second and, marriage. Yeah, there you go. My current. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I haven't Fine. painted things uh, plaid yet. Ed, you're still married. Um, but uh but yeah he you know he he comes to it after he's already a hero so that's i think that's a i think that's a different nuance i i'm i'm still struggling to find a single hero who is got 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 a decent relationship it ain't spider-man 
whoever else it is, it ain't him. Maybe um, Squirrel Girl. May, but, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. She's got she's got healthy friendships and healthy uh romantic mm-hmm. relationships. I I think that they're romantic. yeah, I, I think I think she probably comes closest. Yeah. So. But you know, everybody everybody in DC is a shit show. Like there's no yeah. Yep. There ain't nobody over there. Although Bruce Wayne's parents stayed together. I mean, so that's oh god. <laughs> so the, the the case could be made that if it if they'd separated just a few seconds sooner, maybe one of them would have <laughs> could have been orphaned. <laughs> That was one of my favorite things was uh, uh, your parents can help you with your Batman outfit. I'm like, no, they shouldn't. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so, it, but, but what's um, going back to this version of, uh, of castle. Uh, yeah. He is. So this version is obviously updated. The original was a Vietnam vet. Uh, yeah. The original was actually, I believe a Vietnam vet who lied so that he could reenlist. Mm-hmm. Um, he had done two tours of duty, I think had been discharged. And then his original name, I think was Francis Castiglione. Mm-hmm. And then he mm-hmm. reenlists under the name Frank Castle to do a third tour in Vietnam because that, and that should tell you everything about the character. Uh, and then in this setting, he's in Afghanistan, uh, primarily operating in Kandahar among other places. And it's, you know, the, the war in Afghanistan that he's primarily involved with. And so, but you know, by that point, Castle is in his late 30s, early 40s, I want to say, and has mm-hmm. been in the military since the age of 18. So he's got at least a couple decades under his belt. No telling, you know, how many different places he served and stuff like that and teams he's been a part of. Um, and this version of Castle, this this version of Castle, I think is interesting because he is very much grounded in, um, in reality, but also there's a lot of camp to him. Um, how but, do you mean? So I, I read this interesting article. So I, I referenced earlier that, I, so my friends and I, uh, mm-hmm. Dr. Lindsey Kramer and Dr. Andrew Nafrio, who are friends of mine from grad school, uh, we have been working on this paper for two years now. Um, and we've got, <laughs> uh, we just get an idea for how weird academia is. This paper won a award at our national uh, conference um, at like top paper in its division. And then we got rejected by the next journal we applied to because of course, academia is weird and some might even say arbitrary <clears throat> anyway so <laughs> so we 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 submitted it recently um to another journal and they gave us a revise and resubmit so which means okay make some addition make some changes sure we send it right so one of the things they recommended is that we read this um chapter that had just come out i think uh as we were writing this paper so we weren't aware of it and it was on how what if we consider Frank Castle through the lens of being queer coded in a way that is uh, allows for relatability for queer and trans people? And I was like, okay, that's fascinating. Let's see what this is about. So I read it and it makes an interesting case. And that is that if we, un- and they, they go into some theories and stuff that I'm not terribly familiar with because while I do study gender a little bit, that's one of my weak areas. So I can't get too much into that. But what one of the interesting, one of the more compelling points they made a couple one is that castle in the comics and in the show to some extent is often a hero for the socially marginalized he goes after the human traffickers he goes after drug dealers the organized crime and who these people typically prey on the vulnerable already in society so like sex workers uh orphans immigrants people like that often people of color people from the lgbtq community are often victims and so he is 
not he's not on a crusade to save these people but these are the people he ends up helping by virtue of what he does like okay. incidental to his punishing of those who victimize them it is and they also brought up some interesting moments in the comics where he is able to emotionally relate and empathize with the victims hmm. in a way that is comforting for them um and they even touch on this a little bit in season two of the show when he's rescuing this young girl amy from this you know conspiracy that is you know victimizing right. her and getting a bunch of people killed that kind of thing right and he acts as a paternal figure for her but the other thing they said is that uh castle is or two other points they made is that one castle betrayed the institution that shaped his masculinity right he turns against the government mm -hmm. the government is the largest social structure most influential social structure in his life when it came to shaping his idea of what it meant to be a man and so he turns against this institution in a very dramatic way. He does a lot of damage mm -hmm. to the federal government, to the CIA, and to uh, the military, um, uh, to the military as represented in the show. Uh, so in that case, he could be seen as a symbol for the for those who grew up queer, those who grew up trans, and are thinking they are they are betraying the gender structures that they came from, right? So that's another aspect they go into. And the last point is that what if you consider, so if we understand that campiness is a common way of coding LGBTQ characters, right? In the sense of the over the top, the dramatic, that kind okay. of thing. If you look at Castle and the way he behaves in every aspect of his life, from the way he eats food in a diner and his over-exaggerated mannerisms mm -hmm. um, and the way in which he commits violence as being an over-the-top symbolism of like a hyper-representation of like real-world violence. Fabulous violence. An extravagant, yeah. exactly, fabulous violence. Then he represents a kind of- I need to put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> fabulous. Fabulous okay, violence. It's going to be on the underside of the hood that comes no, down. No, no. Jesus, yeah, because no. like it's what, what it's a uh, God damn it, genitalia. Thank you. I wanted violence. to be the one to say it because then we got all three of us saying it in the same episode, but I I biffed it. All right, so gunmetal <laughs> genitalia on the front Another of the hood, genitalia. and then you yeah. lift it up, and it says fabulous violence. Yes, that's <laughs> so uncomfortable with all of this. <laughs> I only want five percent of of the net. That's fine. So. Um. So I can't get you so, tenure, but I can get you paid. All right. Listen, <laughs> listen, my man. Um, <laughs> no, but the, the, you know, part of the thing is like, if you consider that part of the function of drag, whether it's mm -hmm. drag Kings or drag Queens is to sort of poke fun and lampoon the idea of gender in a hyper exaggerated way. Right. Then castle kind of fits that bill, the way he talks, the way he walks, the way he interacts with people, um, the violence he engages in, it's so over the top it that it could be, yeah. he, right. And, and, and it's not just that it's over the top. It's also a, he does it with essentially a sense of naturalness that people who struggle with their gender identity aspire to, mm -hmm. right? Because Castle never thinks twice about anything that he does, right? It is, everything is the way that it is, that kind of stuff. I, and I ask so, you? Um, mm -hmm. Just real quick, do you think that as broken as he is, because that's pretty obvious there, right? He's, he's a pretty broken individual. He's also incredibly self-actualized by what you just said. He is. Yeah. He is at peak performance. Yeah. In the worst kind of way. <laughs> yeah. It's the ugliest way imaginable. Yeah. Right. It is, it is Maslow's hierarchy of needs in a nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> You're right. 
you know <laughs> all like most of that pyramid is gratified in his van and i know how that sounds and i mean it like that like that's you know yeah and so so yeah and so that's that's kind of the argument they were making and i think it's a compelling case to make that you know okay well what if we consider castle as like this over the top kind of what if he's doing male drag right that that sort of archetype okay i can okay. i can see that there's yeah. some there's a there's a compellingness behind it um i want that t-shirt frank castle was in male drag yeah frank castle <laughs> the go. original drag king I and like so it. the the way that I worked in and I wrote out two phrases, gunmetal genitalia and, um, and, uh, fatal phallus. Um, the name is, of my new prog rock band. God, that was the joke I was going to make. Oh, <laughs> man, I'm sorry. <laughs> and three, two, one, oh, go. go. Which is, <laughs> it's, no, it's, it's my, uh, Ingve Malmsteen cover band. Um, oh, fatal nice, phallus. Nice, um, nice. yeah. So, so I don't know if that's going to make it past the editors. I am, it's only because I'm working with close friends that I feel like it got past my co-authors. Like, sure. <laughs> like, like damn it, I, Gabe. Okay, it's funny though. They know what I bring to the table, and I'm the second author. Damn it. So, <laughs> so yeah. But uh, but our our larger point in this paper is to look at three things in particular. Mm -hmm. um, one, the sort of uh, this idea of abject masculinity, and you guys remember mm -hmm. Fight Club, yeah, right. So. The, there's a germinal work called um, that deals with abject masculinity in, the, in terms of Fight Club, which is basically the idea that as abject masculinity is the idea that masculinity is simultaneously upheld, mm -hmm. particular forms of masculinity are simultaneously upheld in our society and also devalued at the same time. So the soldier, okay. is, the soldier is valorized, but he's also required to be disposable in the overall machine. That's what I always say about when they called teachers heroes last year. Yeah. As oh, soon yeah. as they started saying we're yeah. heroes, I was like, oh shit, we're disposable now. We're fucked. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 Now in the <clears throat> in the case of Fight Club, they go into the idea of, you know, the the Tyler Durden narr narrator dynamic. Right. But there's an interesting moment where if you remember with the lie soap where he's burning the back of his hand. Yeah. Right. So he is dispo he is displaying um uh, abjectness in terms of he's damaging his own body. Mm -hmm. He's also exhibiting toxic masculinity, which is defined by dominance in the sense that he is dominating himself, right? right? Because that is the cornerstone of that, of toxic masculinity, but also embodying a sort of otherness because as the author argues, the wound looks a lot like a vagina. It does. Mm -hmm. And mm, so his okay. point, and there's other things he references with like Tyler Durden's outfit, the robe, the flip-flop, the fuzzy slippers, the, furry, the, yeah. the way that he dresses, that kind of thing. That yeah. abjectness empowers this toxic masculine identity while also giving it license to engage as an other and at the same time towards the purpose of being disposable. And Castle occupies a lot of that yeah. he is the so he is um oh god is that metallica song uh back to the front uh you will die when i say oh, back oh, to the front oh, right? yeah Shit. Uh, uh disposable heroes yeah 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 right so it's that thing of like oh yeah you're a hero but you are made to be broken and if you survive we can use you again right so the war for him never ends 
Mm-hmm. And it never ends for him. It, yeah. He just takes it somewhere else. Combine that with the idea of what's referred to as resentment, resentiment, excuse me, which is not resentment, although it sounds similar, but it's the idea of the emotional uh, validation that comes from acting in a sense of uh, acting towards, a, uh, my words are failing me. It is impotent rage mm. given action from wounds that are real or perceived. Okay. Okay. Go back to the January 6th incident, the insurrection, right? All these guys, a lot of dudes, but women included, are storming the Capitol because of a wound that they perceive they have endured. Mm -hmm. And so resentment empowers this particular version of masculinity, which women can be a part of. It's not exclusive to men. Um, And gives them a sort of emotional validation that they were wronged and they need to do something and enter the kind of action. And this also dovetails with fascism a little bit, because one of the core tenets is that, you know, fascists think with their blood, as the Mm -hmm. as the saying goes. Right. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. they are people of action. And so. So, yeah, Castle absolutely validates that perspective, because let's not forget that the um, both season one and season two of The Punisher are about conspiracy theories. Right. Right. Yeah. Government also, conspiracy yeah. theories. You know, yeah. there's also you mentioned the fascism um, and mm-hmm. there's also it feels like there's this aspect of with fascism. It's certainly true. Um, the the other uh, that we are going to use as our our main avatar for what we we don't like uh, is at once superior to us and inferior to us. And yep. I'm just thinking of all the ways that Castle approaches everybody in those in those conspiracies uh and and it takes on a decidedly fashy i mean it's 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 fashy in in a mm-hmm. lot of ways but a decidedly fashy bend along those lines of he's facing i i'm thinking of the 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 scene in the gym the beat down scene in the gym just mm-hmm. oh um the uh he he is he he is better than them and at the same time they are overwhelmingly more powerful than he is oh yeah so his victory validates both his superiority and the fact that he is unfairly put in an inferior position. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I, you said seeing the gym, my first mind went to when he was fighting, oh God, the guy in season two, John Pilgrim, and he just turns his head into a meat yo-yo with the chain. Um, is that, the, but, is that the, the one where he's just beating the shit out of all the Russians? No, no. I, I had the scenes confused in my head for oh, a second, okay. but it's when gotcha. they're in the, like the, uh, the junkyard. And oh, he like right. wraps a chain around his neck and just uses him like a yo-yo with his yes. fist. Um, I remember watching it with my wife because that's the only way I could get her to watch a Marvel anything mm-hmm. is if there's actual violence, like realistic violence involved. Hmm. Um, she likes actual murdery things. Okay. I like fake violence, but she wants there to be like blood splatter. And she was like, wow, Gabriel, okay. this is too much. And she's like looking through her hands as she's watching the script. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, so... So, yeah, and the third thing is that, so we talked about resentiment, this emotional validation of perceived wrongs and the empowerment to do something about it, this impotent rage that's then given like, you know, action and motive and stuff like that. And then we talk about, you know, abject masculinity and the idea of being disposable. But the third point we talk about is the idea of what's called the Negro muse. And this gets to Curtis Hoyle, who is in the show as uh, his best friend. Um, And the Negro muse is not an idea that we came up with. This is actually from some other scholars who uh, we learned about it from um, that were presenting at the National Communication Association uh, conference some years, a couple years ago. 
And this is, and their argument is that this is an evolution of the magical Negro. So the trope that for those who are not familiar, um, you have the Uncle Tom, right? The Uncle Tom exists in the media, in the story to basically uphold the white protagonist, right? Mm -hmm. The magical Negro takes this a step forward where the, uh, uh, the black male, uh, the black male character has magical powers of some sort. Think like um, Bagger Vance, yeah, Bagger Vance, Bruce Almighty, mm-hmm. yeah, right, and, um, yeah. I was gonna say uh, Shawshank Redemption, yeah, or um, the Green Mile, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, literally I magical, love, literally met, yeah, right. Yeah. And I love that movie. It is a magic Negro trope. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you take that and put it into a real world context, and you have what's what they refer to as the Negro Muse, and that is a black male character who is um artistic and emotionally intelligent and possesses you know a lot of positive pro-social healthy aspects that is there effectively to rehabilitate the white individual another example of this might be like the green book um right so don shirley right so if that's not familiar uh dr don shirley who is a accomplished musician right african-american gentleman doing the tour of the south and the movie is about the white guy who's racist Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it's driving Miss Daisy for the new generation. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, that a major arc in that story is um, Don Shirley using his sort of his character, his very being to rehabilitate intentionally and unintentionally mm-hmm. this very, you know, crude knuckle dragging, you know, character who's, you know, a racist, you know, a New Yorker. Right. Mm-hmm. Um so, so yeah, so then we apply that to this with the Punisher because Curtis Hoyle is a corpsman, right? He's a medic. He's not yeah. just a medic. He's also a therapist. In the season one, he pretty effectively rehabilitates Frank, mm-hmm. right? Like in the season one ends with Frank Castle going to therapy. Right. In fact, beginning of season two, he's living a decent life. He is. He's a construction worker, right? No, no, that's at the beginning of season one. Oh, it is. Okay. End of season two, he's got a pocket full of money that the government has paid him off. He's got a blank slate and he is just driving through the country doing what he wants to do, mm-hmm. right? Not killing nobody. He, he right. has a romantic connection with a woman at a bar, that kind of thing, right? Yeah. Now I'm right. remembering. Yeah. Fast forward through season two, he gets the taste for blood again, right? Mm-hmm. And then you have him and, uh, and then Curtis gets involved again, this time in an even more drastic way. And there's a great moment at the end of season two where, you know, Curtis is talking to the senator who's, who Frank has kidnapped. Um, and <laughs> Right. And, you know, up until this point, like Curtis has been there to try to deter Frank from following through with his vengeance. And then when you can't deter him, he's there to help him. He has literally stitched him back together. He's helped to serve as like his sort of emotional grounding. Um, but Curtis is broken by this point. And in this conversation with this kidnapped Senator, the Senator says, is this who you are? Is this who you want to be? And Curtis says, I started off just trying to do the right thing. And now I just want to go home. Um, he is broken effectively by the end of the show. And he does two things that reflect this. The first is that he takes a life, right? He's a medic. Mm-hmm. He's never taken a life until he helped Frank Castle in season two. Uh, and he shot someone and then tried to save his life and was unable to do so. And that is deeply traumatizing for him. The second thing is that he lies 
to the gov uh, to the um to the detective uh detective mahoney right who's investigating the death of uh i was gonna say jigsaw but russo right right russo reaches out to hoyle hoyle like a season ago would have like tried to save his life or something along those lines right. or gotten him to some sort of help instead he calls frank and frank comes in unceremoniously executes russo you know, for all the terrible things he's done to Frank and being responsible for uh, Frank's family's demise. And then when the cop shows up, he lies for him, which is yeah. again, not entirely out of character, but it, he does it so easily. Like it's kind of heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. He is, he is slipped. Yeah. He, he is mm -hmm. in many ways, our moral compass for the show. And, and mm -hmm. he has spun off because of his proximity to Frank. And by the end of it, Frank's abject masculinity allows him to become the apex predator that is the Punisher at the last scene of the show, right? When he's there with guns blazing and all that kind of stuff. And that's only possible because of the emotional support of the Negro Muse character that is Curtis Hoyle, who has been effectively destroyed in the process. So in this case, this particular form of white masculinity was able to maintain its positionality as this... You know, again, I use the term apex predator because that's how I think of him mm -hmm. um, at the expense of, you know, a black man's humanity. So that yeah. is fucked up. Ah, right. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I mean, you know, the, the comic nerd in me is listening to this and thinking, oh, you know, he kind of did that to microchip as well in the comics mm -hmm. to the point where microchip, I think, betrays him in the comics at, at some point. And I think Frank ends up having to kill him. Mm -hmm. Um. And so you get that, that again, uh, Frank's vengeance doesn't just consume him. Oh. It consumes everyone. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and yeah. And, but the, that last part <laughs> through a black body uh, being destroyed on some mm. level, uh, on several levels. Um, it just, it hits me because this show came out one year and a week after the election, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. almost to the day, uh, one yeah. year later, you know, and by this point, uh, what we'd had Charlottesville, mm -hmm. um, we'd had so many more times of institutionalized violence against specifically against black bodies, destruction of black people, black persons, um, and violations of their personness. Uh, and having it just completely discounted and just swept up. And it's that last part is that it, it it's being discounted and swept up by so many uh, as it is with Frank. He does not really show much in the way of regret at what he's done to this, this one person who's shown him kindness. Well, regret is one step removed from remorse. And yeah, the Punisher as a construct mm -hmm. cannot have remorse. That's that's a defining characteristic. True. Not in any meaningful way. No. Yeah, not no, in a way that, no. not in a way that has material consequence. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, the the little bit of remorse we see him have in season two is when he doesn't kill people. Right. When Amy discourages him from like killing a the uh, the child pornographer, mm -hmm. right? And Castle's like, I knew I should have done them in. And as the audience, you're going, yeah, no, you should have. That yeah, was, just that like, was a yeah, justified no, we, we 100%. Yeah, yeah we, we some, back you on that. 
some of these kills what necessary that one should happen twice like (laughs) now what's wild about this is is okay so you have all of that and awesome first off uh you know that that's awesome i they're stupid for having rejected y'all but i do like that you got to add gender to it because we could talk about uh the the uh frank castle drag king um but the the the, what do we say the fabulous violence fabulous violence um you know as the under part of the flap uh around uh um but uh, what's interesting to me is that it, you come back to the, the real world at the same time um, in 2017, specifically uh, the Cattlesburg police department in Kentucky. Uh, they install installed huge decals of the Punisher's skull and the blue lives matter on the hoods of their cars. Yeah. Um, yeah. We, uh, we talked about that in the paper as well, the, that reference. And in fact, in the comics, they address that um yeah. with with the punisher i think it's a 2019 issue uh ripping yeah. up yeah mm-hmm. right comes across and again going back to the captain america thing which we talked about last issue right you know he he encounters that decal and he rips it up and they're like what are you talking about he goes look you want a role model you look at steve rogers right i ain't your guy right yeah yeah <laughs> yeah but my my favorite part to that is afterwards he says you know you know what because i i have the picture here uh um if I find out you are trying to do what I do, I'll come for you next. Yes. And then the other cop who is half his face is hidden by the shadow. The other half is barely visible and he's in the background says, careful what you say here, uh, Castle, starting to sound an awful lot like a, fre- a threat. Like the second that he doesn't do what yeah. what the boys in blue want, they mm-hmm. they try to institute their power and he just walks away and says it was or no he doesn't walk away he says it was and you see both of their hands as though they're arching for their guns can you imagine the gall the sheer the, <laughs> like nothing but the audacity that is one of those things when you th- you read that and you think are you have you taken leave of your senses what is wrong with you oh right. my god yeah you, <laughs> did you just threaten the punisher like yeah. like like of all people yeah yeah the guy that we wish we were as badass as mm-hmm. yeah. and now yeah it's there's there's also a police department in solvay new york um that had that logo on their vehicles uh my favorite part of this was when they were criticized for it uh their official written to the press response was quote the punisher symbol on the patrol vehicles of the solvay police department while similar to the symbol featured in marvel comics is our way of showing our citizens that we will stand between good and evil. Now, Ed, you are the one more likely to know the history of medieval Europe and feudal times in Asia. Yeah, when okay. has the death's, death's head skull ever been a good guy trait? The person who stands for good against evil? Because I'm having a hard time remembering anything. Like well, that. okay. Uh, since you mentioned Asia, um, mm-hmm. I will point out that it, that it shows up fairly often in, in samurai motifs, but um, that's not as a good or evil dichotomy because Buddhism and Shinto don't fucking do that. It's, it's, it's a, no, no, no. I I have, I have the skull here on, on top of my Sashimono because that, that represents that like I'm prepared to die. Um, That's a little different than I'm going to punish people to death. Yeah. And, and in, in Germany, this is interesting. The, the, Mm. the Totenkopf, 
Mm -hmm. uh, the death's head was a motif in German and Germanic and that whole region of of Europe in their heraldry. It was a thing, Mm -hmm. but no, it, it, it never had guardian connotations at, at at best it was if if somebody had a reputation totally devout you might believe that they had it there as a reminder to themselves of their own mortality so a la not, not the whole I'm buddhist thing evil. no 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 okay. if, if, no if i remember my um, my old testament correctly uh during the passover uh in egypt the jews were instructed to paint a skull on the uh on the the mantle right of the yeah. overhead of the door so that when the angel came by he was like oh shit that's metal i guess i'll move on right that is <laughs> nice nice that's well metal done. AF. i'm moving on yeah i like it. i didn't see that coming that's awesome yeah, yeah. That's, oh, i love it look what i've done to you both <laughs> uh, you know who did start using it immediately when they started as an organization in in uh, 2008 I'm guessing it's terrible presenters. people. There we go. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> presenters. It was also yeah. seen in Charlottesville. Yeah. Uh, of course it was. I'll let you guess which side. Um, you know, one of the th- I love a lot of things about my job, but one of the things I hate is that I have to be aware of stupid racists. Like, uh-huh. like it's not enough that they're racist. Like, like the the Nazis were abominable people, but they were serious and they had fought in the trenches of World War One, right? Yeah. Like, but the racists we have now are just they're lap dogs playing at being wolves, and mm-hmm. it's just infuriating how dumb they are. It's like if Copper thought he was a wolf, not a hound dog. Yes, yeah, yeah. yes. No. That's a good, yeah. good analogy. Had, and if they had none of his empathy, yes, yeah, yeah. 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 You know, uh, where the rubber hits the road here, I think, is that six to per- six to ten percent of the Oath Keepers, according to their own database that was hacked and leaked to the Atlantic, uh, are police officers or military personnel. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm amazed the figure is that low. Yeah, well, another significant yeah. percentage are are people who are retired. Um, oh, well, they were okay. they were founded in 2008. Uh, And they claimed at the time when Obama was elected that they had, quote, an improbable 30,000 members who who were said to be mostly current and former military law enforcement and emergency first responders in 2016. Mm -hmm. Um, Constitutional sheriffs, peace officers of America are two other groups that have over 500 current and former sheriffs in their groups, uh, which is which is just kind of interesting to me to see how much Punisher iconography ends up with them. Uh, with all of that i was able to find online a um a i think it was a some vendor that was selling ammunition Mm -hmm. that the it might have been the the jackets or the bullets had like punisher skull with the trump hair on it jesus yeah i can yeah i can i can believe that that. i can believe that the other thing that I found that I could only find it appeared to be apocryphal, and I'm hoping it's not real. But you know these um these like accomplishment medals that sometimes that law enforcement use, right? Challenge uh, coins. That kind the of challenge stuff. coins. That's what it yeah. is. Yeah, yeah. Um, that the Walt Disney World mm-hmm. uh, security had a challenge coin that was a combination of the iconic Mickey Mouse head mm-hmm. with the Blue Lives Matter uh, Punisher skull. Oh, as like an amalgamation. Oh my god! I only found one or two reports of that. I can't confirm that it was real. I hope it sincerely wasn't, but I also can't observe reality and say that it it's, wasn't a thing. It's it's right. Florida, so there's a chance. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
So you've got all these cops involved in all these groups and you've got them using Punisher iconography. And it kind of comes to the the thing that we have. We have a couple of recurrent themes in, in our podcast. Um, one is that um, pro wrestling tells us everything we need to know about society. Um, it is the poor man's opera. Absolutely. Absolutely. The vulgar art. Uh, mm-hmm. So if there's an office next to you, eventually I'll get my PhD in studying wrestling and it'll be great. If, uh, I know, I know of scholarship that you might be interested in that oh, studies wrestling specifically, so. but yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, but uh, another one we have is authorial intent doesn't mean shit. Um, mm-hmm. Cause mm-hmm. you, you will stumble over backward into an allegory about world war one without meaning to. Um, and then uh, the, the, the third one, uh, well, besides nine 11 ruined uh, all things, star Trek. Uh, the, the other one is that satire only works for one generation after that it becomes the goal and i think that the punisher is absolutely a victim of that as mm-hmm. as a comic especially given what conway uh connelly jerry connelly jerry right? conway a uh, conway it was conway okay. yeah told you i'm terrible at author names uh but jerry conway uh set, has been very consistent through the years nobody else really has when it comes to the punisher um, in, in, in what his aim was. Uh, and so the punter seems to follow the same trajectory as satire does. Um, he was outlandish and ridiculous, as in worthy of ridicule, uh, because he was so grotesquely far from what's realistic, but now he's normalized for the police and for others. Um, and again, like you said, they had to stall the release, the surprise release of the Punisher because we had someone else who decided to shoot up a whole bunch of people that he thought had it coming. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. And they've also decided to change the Punisher's logo recently uh, in the last yeah. couple of months. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And now it looks more like a demon skull, which I don't know if that's better. I mean, you guys are Catholics. You tell me. I mean, I, I love a good spooky on the side of, I won't say good in this case, but of not evil. So. <laughs> yeah. There you go. I I'm, I'm, I'm going to say maybe, it it might make it a little bit easier to make it clear that he's not actually a good guy. I maybe I wish maybe like I wish. I'd hope, but I, I think I, now I can't. That, since the cruelty is the point has become a governing principle. Uh, mm, fuck mm-hmm. yeah yeah. I found a, yeah. a former law enforcement officer uh, who worked a bunch of law enforcement jobs, and he said, "Quote: Frank Castle does to bad guys and girls what we sometimes wish we could legally do." Castle doesn't see shades of gray, which unfortunately the American justice system is littered with and which tends to slow down and sometimes even hinder victims of crime from getting the justice they deserve. I don't think it's a good thing when the people whose job it is to uphold the, uh, let me check my notes, the law uh, start to see a man who specifically goes out of his way to as the hero. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I remember um, seeing some research about how people who watch uh, law and order and csi and like crime procedural shows who are Mm -hmm. heavy viewers of that content tend to have less they tend to have more excuse me more anti-civil liberty perspectives yes yeah right propaganda yeah it is effectively and so yeah i'm i'm not surprised it's um i like that point about you know satire doesn't survive past the first generation because sometimes it doesn't even survive in that generation itself i think about like uh starship troopers Right. Ooh, we have Ooh, episodes yeah, on we've that. talked about that one. Yeah. <laughs> right. Or yeah. Robocop, which was absolutely oh, supposed to be. Yeah. It was yeah. way over the top. Well, Same anything. Director. Okay. Verhoeven. Anything yeah. Paul Verhoeven ever does, yeah. like, mm-hmm. 
except you know, for basic he, instinct. He he yeah, well, yeah. Are we sure though? Um <laughs> but Point. but but Verhoven Verhoven does these things where he's like, I'm gonna make this huge statement and it's gonna be this this incredibly over-the-top satire. And like, I don't know, 60% of the of the of the audience go, Oh yeah, okay, yeah, no, I see what he's saying here. That's really oh yeah, that's awesome. And then 40% of the of the of the of the viewing population of his stuff is like, that's fucking awesome. It becomes that that rocks so hard, you know, and you're like, are you all stupid? Never mind. Yes, you are. That, okay, fine. Yeah. You know. What were you gonna say, Gabriel? That 40% either has never seen an SS uniform or has a mock-up <laughs> of one. Yeah, yes. it, it will, there yes. is no middle ground there. I mean, it's, yeah. it's like being a champion cliff diver. You are yeah. either the champion or you are a spot. Like <laughs> a there smear. is nothing in pink it. mist. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh I, you know, keep in mind also though, Verhoeven comes at it from a decidedly Dutch perspective. Yes, which means it literally doesn't quite translate uh, yeah. into into what's going on because he grew up not as part of the superpower that had the bomb, but as someone who lived in a place that was next to the place that the bomb would be dropped over. Yeah, like collateral damage. Yeah, 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 yeah place that would literally be collateral damage. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I found this quote from Jerry Conway. Um, uh, he says, quote, to me, it's disturbing whenever I see authority figures embracing the Punisher iconography because the Punisher represents a failure of the justice system. The vigilante anti-hero is fundamentally a critique of the justice system, an example of social failure. So when cops put the Punisher's skulls on their cars or members of the military wear Punisher skull pass- patches, they're basically siding with an enemy of the system. He said that it was, quote, uh, it was akin to, quote, putting a Confederate flag on a government building. <laughs> Just like the South Carolina State House, like that one. <laughs> like kind of a little bit. The Georgia flag. You know? Yeah. 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 Uh, Mississippi changed their flag, I think. Did they? Mississippi. One of them did. One of them Somebody had the Confederate did. flag. Yeah. was like, you know, we're just not going to do this. I mean, I think it, it might have been Alabama. Never. Might have been Alabama. Yeah. I think it was. Never, I guess. Thinking yeah. about it, I think it was Bama. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, you know, and 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 with all respect to Jerry Conway and what he's done and mm-hmm. the stories he's told, like it's um, what's the Ed? You would know the term for this. The the principle of firearms it doesn't matter where you aim the bullet; it's where it lands. Yeah, I, I don't remember the short version of it, but yeah, yeah, it's it's where where you were trying to put the bullet doesn't matter. You're responsible for wherever it winds up, yeah. right? Which which is the corollary to the one I do remember the short form of, which is the 308 principle, which is if you have the means to to take action to stop something from happening, you have a responsibility to do it. Mm-hmm. And so they they stand in in balance with each other. But yeah, yeah, it it doesn't it doesn't matter, like we've said any number of times on this show it doesn't matter what mm-hmm. you set out to try to to try to tell right like you know i'm just trying to i'm just trying to tell an english uh fairy story that's great you've also done a really great job of teaching an anti-industrial allegory so congratulations <laughs> professor tolkien yeah you know like <laughs> he, he has some quote about like praising men who are dynamiting factories like oh yeah oh yeah yeah like no, he, he was he was no shit a luddite like no 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 he he was he was an agrarian pastoralist like he, I just, he, yeah i love the juxtaposition of a man who believes that there are no good leaders and that leaders should not be a thing mm-hmm. but also dramatically fought against uh the second the second vatican council uh, like yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. oh yeah 
no, uh, yeah. internal consistency is not, you know, there's no prerequisite for anybody to be internal. It's not, it's not compelling no. character material. Yeah, no, no, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> You know, uh, Conway, to his credit, like you said, uh, with, really what you're saying is that he has a great power. Don't. No? Okay. Don't do it. Okay. Fair. Right. No, that's fine. I don't want to stop you. <laughs> this clearly makes you happy. I didn't block your joint. <laughs> no, it just, uh, it just, you know, he actually, um, I don't know if you know this, he has uh, a lot of wigs that he wears uh, for, and, and what he does is he will powder them. And so with great power comes great, and he styles himself to look like a monkey. So it comes great rhesus ponce ability. Damien, it is two o'clock in the fucking morning where I am. <laughs> okay but on the serious so, though like i mean that is what we're saying is with great power comes great responsibility yes. um he to his Jesus. credit when he, he when he saw the detroit police uh wearing the punisher skull during the george floyd protests he publicly called on marvel and disney to stop this from ever happening again he's like yo you have trademarks you've sued preschools do shit um and again, the Punisher uh, volume 12, number 13 came out in, in July of 2019. Um, and Rosenberg had written this exchange. Uh, Marvel said, that's, that's our response. They like retconned it. And they're like, that's our official response now. Which, mm -hmm. I mean, did they respond? Yes. Did they, sort of. I, you know, it, it's yeah, like well... the teachers who, who did, who called in sick during my strike. They technically didn't come to work. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Uh, but but I mean simultaneously, fuck them. Yeah. Yeah. No. Absolutely. <laughs> look, to, look, like you said, uh, Mickey Mouse has no problem, you know, rolling a preschool. So right. why is a police department <laughs> sacrosanct? Yeah. You yeah. Know? Right. Yeah. yeah. It's 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 ridiculous. So. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, anything else, Punisher, uh, that you want to? I desperately wanted a season three of the Punisher where he goes to Harlem and confronts Luke Cage, who is the new crime boss. Thank you. Because I fucking hated Luke Cage after that because and not the character, but the yeah. series, like the last 15, we did an episode on this. Remember it? Uh, the oh, last yeah. 15 minutes of that episode ruined that final episode ruined the whole series for me. Cause that is not what Luke Cage is about. And I did not like that one bit, but if Punisher had gone yeah. there to confront him, I would have loved to have seen that fight. Mm -hmm. because it wouldn't have been something that, that Punisher could have won, mm -hmm. but by getting his ass kicked by Luke Cage, maybe he could have done the reverse and bun, been the white muse. I... <laughs> the very Ooh, violent, the woos? dysfunctional woos. The wise. <laughs> yeah. no, like my, my preferred ending would have been, it would have ended with like Cage having to kill Castle and then Cage like dealing with the aftermath and having the redemption of like, you know what? I'm not, I'm not made for this. This is not, I couldn't yeah. do it. And clearly the cost is too high. So that would yeah. have been, yeah. Yeah. That would Take have been cool. my money. I actually felt the same way about Iron Fist season two, about the last 10 minutes of it when it was like, oh, season two is all right. It's much better than the first one. And then you have the finger powers and i was yeah. like what the, what, the, what the hell are we doing here guys <laughs> did we just see the cancellation coming and we were like we're just gonna we can't flip them the bird so we'll give them finger guns like, right yeah it, it <laughs> went from iron fisting to iron finger banging oh just... no <laughs> so 
yeah, confrontation I, with the dragon takes on a whole new meaning. <laughs> <laughs> Can't wait to hear about that. Paper. Decidedly disturbing. Dragon genital. No. Mm-hmm. Uh, no. Just <laughs> stand down. <laughs> stand down. Stand down. So, no. Walk away. So, okay, I, I, I mean, I'm having a, a blast, but it's also two in the mer- morning where you're at. And it seems like we've covered all things Punisher uh, in a major way. I'm sure I can find a way to shoehorn in uh, police violence against uh, black Americans some other time. Uh, maybe when I take a look at the NFL being the modern day plantation system or something like that. So. The NCAA is my favorite form of slavery. That's um yeah okay definitely that's awesome. that's can't, can't, awesome. yeah, can't argue against it no yeah that's also how I know COVID was joke. a big yeah. deal <laughs> yeah because the modern uh, again I, I even said oh when collegiate plantations decide they don't want a profit you know we should maybe not come to work mm-hmm. so, maybe yeah mm-hmm. so just maybe cool well uh let's see we're we're running uh longish so yeah. i say let's not talk about what we're reading uh yeah. but turn it over uh to gabe to to plug uh, all the things that he wants to plug so things yeah, that you're sure writing please. things that you're reading places uh, people can find you yeah so uh, i make it my profession to holler into the void both in the classroom and online uh <laughs> and so you can find me online at um ga cruz phd on uh twitter and instagram in fact i'm actually part of a um group of comic and uh, pop culture scholars called the crusading in color collective and we like live tweet shows like you know on the cw and movies and things like that particularly uh, superhero narratives that have you know characters of color um as the center i also do a podcast called office hours with dr c where i talk with uh, my friend barry who's a media production um, professor as well as you know folks that we have on the show just to sort of chat about ideas and things like that and uh, i'm on tiktok at dr dot underscore c and at some point i'm going to need a manager for all the weird things that i have going on okay but i have to start making money on those weird things before I <laughs> tell us somebody. about that yeah no kidding right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, so yeah that's me awesome well thank you so much for joining us uh yeah. really really honored and uh pleased that i could make you swear at me uh yeah. so, <laughs> it's going to a good top oh yeah, yeah thank absolutely. you yeah so, very thank you very much for being here yeah so uh for a geek history of time again dr gabriel cruz thank you very much i'm damien harmony and i'm ed blaylock and until next time keep rolling 20s